I hope you had a great Independence Day, and it looks like everybody still has all their digits, and that's good. <laughs> Didn't blow anything off with fireworks. We're going to take a little break today from 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look at Psalm 5. Occasionally, I think it helps us to pull out of the text that we're digging through and go to something else and uh, get a little refresher, and then we can go back into what we have been studying. So today, we're going to look at Psalm 5. You know, it's a prayer that I think is very appropriate for us to pray as we thank God for our nation and as we seek God's protection over her. I'm pretty sure that it is not news to you that there are some very evil and very corrupt people in some very key leadership positions in our government, in our federal government, and in our state and local governments. Now, maybe not here so much, but there are bills being passed around the country that eliminate any protection for the unborn up until the point of birth, and some after the point of birth, if you can believe that in America, if you can get your head around that. So we need to pray. Um, We need to pray that God will deliver us as a nation from falling over this precipice that we are charging toward. God does not owe the United States a continued existence. You know, all that God really owes America is judgment. But God is merciful, and we need to beg Him to show us mercy. When I talk like this, I'm always concerned that people may think that I am not patriotic. The exact opposite is true. I love America, and that is why I'm so concerned about our constant defiance of the Lord. It, is, it seems like we are flagrantly daring God to judge us and then proclaiming God bless America all the time. I wonder if that has become an order rather than a prayer like it should be. You know, if we're going to ask God to bless America, we should have enough sense to know that if He is actually able to bless America, then He is able to withhold His blessing And furthermore, he is able to curse America should he choose to do so. If I understand scripture, then I can guarantee you that on our present course, he eventually will do that. I would guess that those who were in Sodom and Gomorrah, if they were here today, would look in wonder at why they were judged and why we have not yet been judged. If you love America like I do, then pray for her. We need to beg God to turn this thing around, and we need to pray for revival in our land. Psalm 5 has some things to teach us about prayer in general, but those things we can apply as we pray for America. Pray with me before we get into the text. Lord, I love you. Uh, I I love America. Uh, Often those two are at odds. And Lord, I will, God willing, side with you 100% of the time. Lord, our first allegiance lies with you. Uh, Lord, you have given us freedom uh, that we cherish tremendously. Lord, there have been worthy, excellent patriots who have gone before us and secured uh, our liberty. And Lord, we thank you for them. We thank you so much that we can gather in freedom and peace and proclaim your word. Lord, those are the good things that we have, and we cherish those things. 
But Lord, as the, uh, as the culture of death marches on in our land, Lord, they are not any longer willing to say that they want abortion to be safe, legal, and rare. They want it to be uh, funded by me, a taxpayer. Uh, Lord, we have come a long way in the past few years on the, on the culture of death in our country. Father, we deserve judgment. There is no other way to think about it other than we, we deserve judgment. Lord, we would so much rather have forgiveness and revival. Uh, Lord, it's, it's your business, it's your call to decide which of those we get. But Father, I pray that we will pray for and work for revival. And then should you be so gracious as to grant us another revival, uh, Lord, we would honor you and praise you. And Lord, we, we trust you, even if things don't work out the way we want them to. We trust you and we commit ourselves to you. So Lord, help us understand this prayer. Help us understand this prayer so that we can be better uh, prayer warriors for this country, for our families, for our church. Lord, teach us about prayer as we examine this prayer of your servant David. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 5 says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. And this is a psalm of David. Um, before the psalm start, it says, To the choir master for the flutes, a psalm of David. And we don't have a single flute player here. That's to our shame. But anyway, this is supposed to be played on the flutes, and it's a song. But here's the psalm. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me, for there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord, you cover him with favor as with a shield. The first thing that I want us to see in this prayer of David is the attitude of David's prayer. His prayer is passionate. If you'll look with me in verse 1 and 2, it says, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. David is not simply mouthing some words. He is begging the Lord. He is groaning to the Lord. Give attention to the sound of my cry. David is earnestly seeking the Lord. He is in desperate need and he wants God to do something about it. So the first thing we need to do is we need to pray with passion. Now please keep in mind that we can never force God to do things. No matter how passionate we are, he cannot be manipulated. 
Uh, we can passionately ask him to do things that go against his nature and his will, and he will not do so. If you passionately ask him to do something for you that is not the best thing for you and not what he wants for you, he won't do that either. He does, however, work in response to the prayers of his people. You know, I've heard people say sometimes, hey, if God is sovereign, which he is, then why pray? Because he has decided what he wants to do, and he's able to do what he wants to do, so he's going to do what he wants to do. And so why does my praying make a difference? Well, I'll tell you why. God does ordain the ends. He does know what he wants to do. But he uses means to accomplish those ends. I mean, we may pray for you to get over an illness, and God may get you over that illness, and he may do it through the means of a doctor and a nurse and a pharmacist working together to treat your ailment. But he may do it miraculously. He can do either one he wants to, right? And so when we, when we pray, God is using the means of the prayers of his saints to accomplish what his will is. So we can't talk him into stuff he doesn't want to do. But at the same time, prayer is an effective agent because God has decided that it will be. And so he uses our prayers to accomplish his goals. Do you see the, submission, the submissive attitude that David demonstrates in this thing? In the last half of verse 2, he writes, My king and my God. You know, David articulates his submission to God in the very beginning of his prayer. His attitude is, he's saying to God, Look, I know I'm the king, but you're my king. I know who's the boss. You are the boss. Your will be done, in other words. Because he's saying, Look, I am submitted to you. Here's what I want. Here's what I need. But your will be done. When we pray, we need to be sure that we are submitted to God. You know, he'll do things that we don't understand. Do you know why Donald Trump is president right now? It's because that God decided to put him there. But on the other hand, do you know why Barack Obama was president before Donald Trump? Because God decided to put him there. Now, there are not a whole lot of Americans today that seem to be big fans of both of these men. And yet... God put them both in the office of president, right? So sometimes God will do things that we don't necessarily think was the best idea, but he knows better than we do. That's why we need to pray with submission to God. Now be encouraged that he uses the prayers of his saints to accomplish his will, but know that you will not always understand what that will is, and you'll not always understand exactly why he does what he does. That's why that submission is so important. All right, we saw the attitude of David's prayer. Now let's look at the expectation with which David prays. In verse 3, he says, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. He is convinced that the Lord hears him. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. He is going to pray. He's going to worship And then he's going to get some popcorn ready to see what it is that God is going to do in response to his prayer. David has expectant faith. You know, what should we do for the glory of God? Uh, Should we pray that he will do things and then just sit back and watch? 
I think if, you, you know, if you've met me before, you know this. that's not what I say we should do. We should pray that God will move. We should pray that God will use us, that he will affect change. And then we should get out there expecting that he will do his part and it will do our part. Now you may say, wait a minute, we don't have a part. Yeah, we do. We're called to witness. We're called to evangelize. We're called to take the gospel to other people. We're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're called to do a lot of things. But it can't reap eternal rewards for God's glory unless he's the one working behind the scenes to make those things fruitful. All right, I'm going to ask you a big question. So if, you're, if your neighbor is asleep, poke him now because I want to ask you this. What would you do for God's glory and the spread of his kingdom if you knew that it would not fail? What would you do for God's glory and the spread of his kingdom if you knew that it would not fail? If your motives are really for the glory of God and the spread of the gospel, then I challenge you to do that thing. That is exactly what I am saying to the ministry advisory team. Does that scare you? <laughs> well, let's stop being scared of failure and let's start being scared of wasting our opportunity. Be scared of failing to make an impact. That is what I want to drive us as a church. And that's what I want to drive us as individuals. Not fear of failure. Fear of wasting opportunity. So let's pray and then let's expect God to actually do something about it. I mean, that's what the end of verse 3 says. I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. He is not just sitting idly by. He is worshiping and then he is watching for God's deliverance. So to be thorough, I'll, I'll say it like this. Let's submit to God. Let's pray for His glory and the spread of His gospel. Then let's do whatever we would do if we knew that it would not fail. And let's expect God to answer that prayer and honor that boldness. Now we, have, we may have a few misfires, but at least we'll be firing, right? It's a whole lot easier to turn a car that is moving than one that is sitting still, right? If we are moving, if we are honestly, passionately pursuing, expanding the kingdom of God, then the Lord can make adjustments on the way. That's okay. But if we're just parked in total apathy, God is not going to work through a church like that. Jimmy and I were in, in the office talking about music and some other things. And, uh, you know, I said, Jimmy, is our problem apathy or ignorance. And he said, I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> okay, not really. But folks, apathy is what is going to kill any church. And it's what's going to kill our church. Because we have to care enough about somebody besides us to go outside of this building. Guys, if we, if we think it's our religious duty, like we talked last week, to come in here and listen to some good music, and then listen to some preaching, and then go home and think we've done God a service. Guys, that's not what it's for. We come here to be equipped to go out and do the work of ministry. So if all we do is come in here to be equipped, and then we go home and squander our opportunity, that's not what God would have for us. So, come to the Choices Clinic tonight. Visit with some of those ladies 
uh, love on some of those ladies, evangelize, tell the gospel to some of those ladies, support them, encourage them. That's actually thinking about somebody besides us, right? That is what we are called to do. Again, I don't know if everything we undertake will work, but we'll be doing something. And then the Lord can adjust those efforts as we go. So, again, what I'm telling the ministry advisory team is, and what I want to tell us all, because I want us all to be united, is let's not be scared of failure. Let's be scared of wasting opportunities. Let's pray expectantly like David did. Next, I want you to notice the adoration of David's prayer. Verse 4, he says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. And then jump down to verse 12. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. You know, David prays to the Lord as if he knows the Lord. He knows the character of God. Now, how does he know the character of God? He knows the character of God through his personal experience, yes, but also through studying the Scripture. You know, David says things like, I meditate on your law day and night. So how is, how is David able to pray to God as if he knows his personality? Because he knows his personality through the Scripture. And so if you want to know God, look in the Scripture, read the Scripture, and let your mind be renewed by that Scripture so that you can see uh, the nature of God. Now, there's a lot of things about God that we'll never understand. You know, I hear some people say, we won't fully understand everything about God until we get to heaven. I'm not going to understand it then either. You know why? Because I'm still going to be a creature. I'm going to be a better off creature, but I'm still a creature and he's still God. I will never understand everything about him. But we can understand his mind to the point that we're able to by studying the scripture and learning who he is and how he responds. So David's adoration is based on his knowledge of the character of God, which came from his study of scripture. You know, Jesus told the woman in Samaria that, we, that there's a day coming. She wanted to know, do we worship on this mountain or this other mountain? And he said, there's a day coming where uh, we'll worship in spirit and in truth, because that's the kind of worshiper that the Lord is seeking. So we need to, we need to have truth. Uh, we need to make sure that we don't sing anything, say anything, pray anything, preach anything that is not accurate, true, and, and in accordance with the Word of God. But we need spirit and truth. Uh, you know, we, we studied a while back that no one can say Jesus is Lord without the Spirit of God, right? And I said, well, that's not just repeating the words. Nobody can say that and mean that and live in submission to Christ away from the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God that enjoys this truth, that embraces this truth, needs to inspire you to worship when we gather together. Uh, we have an excellent guy leading worship and we have fun, good music, and we have music that is true and uplifting and honoring to God. So let's take advantage of those things, and let's worship in spirit and in truth. It's not 
in here in corporate worship, it's, it's my job and Jimmy's job to make sure of the truth part. <laughs> and so you guys come with the, with the spirit and with the joy. Have you ever heard the saying that God hates the sin but loves the sinner? I've heard it a, a dozens of times. And I always think, yeah, except for, you know, Psalm 5 and some other places in Scripture where it doesn't say that. Um, I've heard it so many times. But let's look at what the Bible actually says here in verse 5. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. What's it say? You hate all evildoers. You know, when I go and I witness to people and I tell them, look, there's a problem between you and God. Your sin has caused a problem. This needs reconciliation. Let me tell you how God will reconcile you. Um, They've heard that there's not really a problem because God loves everybody. Well, that's great, except the Bible says different. Verse 6 says, you destroy those who speak lies. The Lord, and here we go again, abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Let your knowledge of God be based on scripture rather than what people say. Now, I want you to trust what I say because we can't do a whole lot of teaching and, and uh, receiving if, we, if you don't trust what I say. But I'll back up what I say with Scripture so that you know that you can trust it. You know, people ask me before, why do you do so many cross-references usually? And I said, well, because I want you to know that I'm not making this stuff up. I'm, I'm getting it from Scripture. So let's look right quick at verses 7 through 12. But I, through the abundance... Well, 7 and 12. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Now, how does David say that he will enter into God's house and be blessed and favored? Through the abundance of your steadfast love. David knows that his position with God is not by works, but is a gift of grace. Now, if you want to be favored and accepted and loved by God, that'll come to you by grace through faith because of God's love. So the next thing I want us to see is the supplication supplication of David's prayer. Now, supplication means the act of asking or begging for something in a humble matter. Uh, Usually when you're teaching, you don't want to take a word like supplication when something simpler would do, like asking, right? Uh, The reason I'm going to use this word is I want us to become familiar with this word. Um, So seriously, this time, Jimmy and I were talking last week about how we could be a little more intentional in our service. Um, We we pray together corporately, and we do so um, sincerely and and with with good motives. But we also kind of use our prayer time as a transition between things that we're doing. Um, That's not to say it's insincere. It's certainly not. But I think we can be a little bit more intentional about how we use our corporate prayer time. Starting uh, soon, we're gonna we're gonna incorporate some more intentional uh, prayers into our into our Sunday morning. A good way to pray, a way that I was taught to pray, is using this acrostic acts a c t s, and that stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving. And supplication. So that's why I'm using that supplication word today. Because in our program on Sunday morning, I would like for us to have some of those prayers so that we can think about that and we can get it in our head that, hey, this is a great way to pray. When I pray in my quiet time, I'm going to make sure that I am responding to God 
in, in these different areas where I am giving him the adoration that he is due. And I am confessing my sins because how can I come to God without, without confessing my sins? And then thanksgiving for all the blessings that he's given us and the sustenance that he provides for us. And then um, the supplication. That's the asking for stuff. So if we model this in our corporate worship, it'll help us reinforce that in our personal use. And again, we come here, why? To be equipped, right, for the rest of the week. So let's see what David is asking for in his supplication, part of his prayer. Verse 8 says, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me, for there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing ever for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. So what is David asking? He's asking for justice to be done, isn't he? You know, David is asking God to punish the wicked and bless the righteous. We all would like to see that happen. I find myself wanting to pray that more and more often. Again, as I hear about these states who are passing these laws that uh, do everything possible to advance the cause of death and, and advance the cause of destroying little children in the womb, um, I think it's safe to say that there is some righteous indignation that boils up in me. And I want to ask God to bring justice. I want God to punish the wicked. You know, I want to pray. There's no truth in their mouth, God. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. Now you may be thinking, that's not very loving, Brother Steve. That's not very nice. Shouldn't you pray for their salvation? Yes, I should pray for their salvation. Because if it weren't for God's grace, we would all be there, right? It's not that I'm better, I'm smarter, I'm more righteous. It's that the Lord has saved me, that I don't think that way. So we don't need to be judgmental in the, in the, to the point of saying that is a non-worthwhile individual. They're made in God's image just like you are, and they can't be saved just like you were. So I do pray for their, their salvation. Uh, but then... I say, but Lord, if you're not going to save them, will you remove them and remove their influence? Folks, there are are people in high positions of government that I pray regularly that God will either save them or remove them. And I think that that's a a God-honoring thing to pray. I think in America in 2019, we'd better be praying that way for our leaders. The craziest of them the most maniacal in their support of abortion, they need to either be saved or removed from power, don't they? I'm going to pray that way based on this psalm. Uh, there was a Southern Baptist Convention in, uh, in New Orleans a few years back, and Melissa and I went, and they asked, 
the president then to take the, the matter of imprecatory prayer, which is a weird, it's a weird word we don't hear often, but imprecatory prayer means praying against somebody, doing like David does and praying for God to bring the hammer down on them. And they said, would you guys research and figure out if this is appropriate for us as New Testament believers to pray? Well, I didn't go the next year, so I don't know what they came up with. But I think if David prays this way, um, then we, we can pray this way as well. Again, I don't want to pray for judgment. I want to pray for salvation and revival. But when salvation and revival doesn't come, I feel free to pray that they will be removed. So let me ask you, what do we do with what we just looked at? Well, we need to pray like David. We need to pray with passion, not, not coldness, not just articulating some things, not giving God a grocery list of what we want. Pray with passion. Also pray with submission, because like I said, God is not... He doesn't see the world the way you see the world. <laughs> now, we try to pray in the will of God for sure. But occasionally, he'll answer in ways that we would rather he didn't. But if we knew what he knew, we would, we would agree with him. And if we were as righteous as he is, we would agree with him. So we pray with submission, saying at the end of it, Lord, not my will, but yours. Then we pray with expectation. Guys, let me just point out to you, a couple of weeks ago, I went to Mass on Monday afternoon. It's not because I am considering uh, going and joining the Catholic Church. It's because I have a class uh, in worship, and we were required to observe some different forms of worship, and so I was required to go to Mass. Uh, now, I won't, uh, I won't tell you everything about it, but there were, some, there were some very positive, good things. Those folks really understand the holiness of God, and they are very reverent in their worship, and that was, that was encouraging to see. I'll tell you what else was encouraging to see. On Monday afternoon, there were about 35 people packed in this little bitty room over there at the Catholic Church. The following Wednesday, I came here, and including me, there was 11 of us. All right, it kind of makes me wonder if there's going to be 35 of them on a Monday afternoon and 11 of us on a Wednesday afternoon. Do we pray with expectation? Uh, I know some of us are working, and that's great. A whole lot of us aren't working, and we could come if we wanted to. But do we have that expectation? Do we think God is really going to do something because of the way we pray? I hope that we do. If we understand the Bible, we'll pray with expectation and faith that God will answer those prayers. Then we need to help, we need help to remember to pray um, in a way that is not just coming to God with saying, hey, God, I need this, I need this, I need this. You know, I've seen some people that say that they are believers and followers of Christ that, that think of Jesus more as a 12-step program. I mean, they want to get their life straightened out, so they'll come to the church and say, tell me how to straighten out my life. But they won't submit everything they are, their life, their future, uh, everything to the Lord Jesus. They won't take up their cross. They won't count the cost of actual discipleship. And so a good way for us to remember to pray in a way that honors God is to use that ACTS, okay, A-C-T-S. Remember, that's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Now let me tell you, when, when David is asking God to bring down the hammer on these folks and give judgment, he says in verse 7, But I, 
through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter into your house. If you want to benefit from the steadfast love of God, let me tell you how to do that. Folks, there is a problem. You know how God says He hates the wicked? Okay, there is a problem between fallen, sinful man and God. When we rebelled against God, He, he didn't take it well. God is holy. He, he can't overlook sin. He can't laugh at sin. He is holy. And so, when we decided to rebel against Him, and you know, it's, some people say, gosh, why can't He just get over it? Well, He can't get over it because He's holy. And because he created us. You know, if I created something and then it rebelled against me, well, I'd squish it, wouldn't you? (laughs) But God didn't do that because he's so loving that he sent his son Jesus to come and live a perfect life. That he asked you and I to live and that we could have lived before the fall. But no, we didn't want to do that. We as people put our trust in the word of the servant rather than the word of God and rebelled against him. Well, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life righteous life and then at the end of that he died the death that you deserve and that I deserve in order to make it possible for us to have reconciliation with God he will trade with us our sin which he paid for on the cross for his righteousness and perfection and his standing before God and then we can be received and loved and protected and get these benefits like Entering into your house and bowing down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. And then in verse 12, he says, You bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. So if you're not yet a believer, if you've not yet come to Christ and admitted your sin and and asked him to forgive you of it, and then submitted yourself to him like we talked about, if you've never done that, I urge you to do that today so that you can be one of these blessed People who are in harmony and in relationship with God. Brother, what are we singing? Make oh for sure that I am a believer. I've been going to church a long time. I've heard about this stuff a long time. But really, I need to nail this down. Then come and we'll talk. And I will help you understand the gospel. Uh, The third thing is, if you say, hey, I've been visiting this church, but I want to join with these folks. And I want to commit to be here to work with them toward the advancement of the kingdom. Then you come down and we'll start talking about that process.